Um, the theme, what I'm thinking about sharing today, what I'm hoping to share and planning on sharing, uh, actually began with uh, a 20-minute TED Talk. Now, if you're not familiar with a TED Talk, it's, I mean, I think everybody is, but just to kind of establish, a TED Talk is somebody that they come across, they do a 20-minute talk, and they're just totally energized, they're totally, um, they've memorized what they're doing, they just, they engage you. I mean, they just totally engage you, and you're there like, wow. And they usually talk about a topic that you really haven't thought about, and they've got you. So I was supposed to do a 20-minute TED Talk, and I did one last Sunday. I, I was on a topic I was very comfortable with. I was downtown, did a TED Talk on it, thought that went really well. People that heard it said that went really well, and that's what you want to hear, and you want to find out that it was useful. So I was prepared to do another TED Talk, and I just finished reading a book. Now, for those of you that know me well, we had a bookstore. Reading books was never my thing, so reading a book in itself deserves a giant check mark. But it was one of those books, it was written by Andy Stanley, if you know who he is, great communicator, great pastor in Atlanta, and he wrote a book called Communicating for Change. And I realized that a lot of the way that I communicate isn't really that clear. Now, my wife has said that to me for 36 years of marriage, but I just always assumed it was just a woman-guy kind of thing because... Obviously, she doesn't listen, and, you know, I know what I'm saying. But my problem is I actually think in pictures and forget to use the words for the pictures. So I was reading this book and realizing, man, I need to change the way that I actually communicate. So I, I rewrote my little talk because this was a really helpful, um, engaging book. And I thought, I, I need to know how to do this. So I redid the talk that I was going to do a couple days later after the Sunday talk, and it was on a different topic completely, and probably a topic I wasn't that comfortable with to begin with, but I had prayed, I would prepared, I'd read what I was supposed to read in the background, and I redid my talk, and it was to be presented to a small group in preparation for a conference we're having in about six weeks. So it's kind of the prelude, but it's still a serious talk. So this is my test run. I could not put this together. I could not get it to come together. And it was painful. It was painful for me, and I'm presenting it. So I, I go and I stand up my 20-minute TED Talk, my 20-minute engaging, riveting, memorizing, mesmerizing, just, you got it, it's so good, lasted barely seven minutes. I mumbled, I fumbled, I, I was awkward, I was nervous, and I was like, this is bad. I read it. You're not supposed to read it. It was like, uh, and I thought, who, who is this guy trying to do this TED talk? It was not TED. TED had nothing to do with it. Very gracious group of guys were critiquing me, and, you know, I didn't run, run out of the place in tears like I probably would have done a while ago, but, you know, God's done this work in my heart, and they critiqued it and gave me some good ideas, and um, really helped me to prepare for when I'm actually going to do this fuller talk in, in May. Well, you know, it, it kind of went okay until the next guy came up to do his 20-minute TED Talk. Only his 20-minute TED Talk lasted 35 minutes, and I was riveted <laughs> to my chair. He was one of the best presenters I've ever heard in my life, and he followed me, uh, 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 me. Do you know just 
kind of the little bit of the, yeah, God, I think I'm being humbled right now. In fact, I know, uh, yeah, I am definitely being humbled right now. I'm learning through this, but it was, I mean, he was one of the best presenters I've ever heard. So <laughs> I compared and the contrast, and one of the things I noticed is that I really didn't feel bad about myself. My wife asked me, she said, how did it go? And I said, it was, it was bad. I was, I was terrible. She said, how do you feel? And I said, I actually feel okay. Which in itself is like, this is strange that I don't feel like beating myself up. I'm quite comfortable that I am learning through this experience. I do, however, want to clarify what really messed me up with my talk. It was the passage of scripture that I was using for my basis of my message that I was going to be doing this TED talk out of. I began to read this passage, and it is a passage, man, I have read it so many times. I love it. It's one of my nugget little passages, and I'm reading it along, and all of a sudden, this verse just pops off the page at me and just, <laughs> like, can a verse punch in the stomach? I don't know what, what expressions we use. We have all these funny little expressions in English, but you know what I mean. Like, it was just like, what? And it just spun my mind into another place. Now, if you haven't had that experience with a verse, it's really amazing when the Holy Spirit does that. There was one particular man, if you know church history, his name was Martin Luther, and his life was changed, as was the church, because of one verse. Just one verse. So you can see right now, I haven't quite mastered this because I'm not hiding the fact I actually have sheets of paper here. It's really interesting to do and have a mic in your hand as well, so I'm not even hiding the fact. We're working on this part, but the main part is I wanted to get this point across. Notes help me to keep track. It's my mind goes all over the place. The verse, the reason it related to me, really has a bit to do with my background. So I want to share a bit of that with you this morning. I grew up in a family, four kids. Some of you know this already, but I'm just setting the stage if you don't know this part of it. My mom was 42. Um, I was the youngest of four. My dad was a traveling pastor. He traveled all over the place. Wasn't really an on-hand dad at all. Um, I never connected with him. Didn't feel very close to him at all. I never remember him touching me, telling me he loved me, nothing like that. I never remember anything. He just was there when he was there, and then he wasn't there when he wasn't there. So I struggled a lot to feel like I fit in. I had a perfect middle brother who was just everything my dad wanted, and me. It's kind of like there, wow, honey, you're pregnant again, eh? How did that happen? I love it when people ask that, like, how do you think that happened, dad? 50-50, you're part of it. But I didn't feel part of the family. And then my dad died when I was 17, which really just kind of sent me into a tailspin. I struggled, really, a lot of my life to figure out how to belong. I was constantly surrounded by people, and yet alone, alone inside. I had to figure out life on my own. And I did. College, university, any decisions like that finishing school, getting married, everything. I just figured it out on my own. In looking back, I kind of look back, and I remember when my mom was in her 90s, I said to her, like, do you feel old? Because she got upset one day. One day at her church, they prayed for the elderly, and they prayed for her. She was really ticked off at them, and I thought, Mom, you, you really are elderly. Like, you're in your 90s, you know? And so 
She said to me, I don't feel any older until I look in the mirror and then think, who's that standing in the mirror? And it's like, yeah, that, that, that does happen. So when I was thinking back of just the things that have changed in my life, I'm thinking like 50 years ago, I can say that I remember 50 years ago. And it's like, I don't really want to say that publicly, but I can say more than 50 years. But let's just say 50. I was thinking back of what really has changed around me. I remember when we had our business and the first fax machine came. And it's like, what? And this guy hooked it up to a phone, and it printed the order we were doing. Isn't that amazing? I remember the internet coming. Now, just to qualify, my mom remembers Model T cars before she died. She remembers that. So, I mean, we all have things that we go back and think, really? So, but let me just tell you a little bit about the world that I remember and some of the, the changes that I actually see. We never wore clothing with labels on it when I was a kid. And now everybody, it's like I, I had my first experience at the Tanger Outlet Mall and thought, I mean, you might be a shopper there. Just forgive me. I, I find Walmart confusing. So to go to Tanger where you actually have to look at a blueprint to figure out where the store that I want to go to, and it's all freaking outside, and it's snowing, and I'm thinking, what is the joy in this? I don't care what the deal is. You've got a big bonfire going there. It's not keeping me warm. I'm frozen. And the joy, so I'm not trying to diss that, but that's a mystery to me. And even finding your way in there, it's like, whoa, what is this place? So anyway, that's, that's uh, but you go there to buy clothes that have labels on them. Oh, my sweater is Hagar. I didn't know what that was. I thought it was Sears, but it's not. It's actually its own store. Um, yeah, so I you, you wear labels, and... Um, that's important because we advertise for the maker. When I was a kid, we had Levi's with a little orange tag on our butt. And if you wanted to be really, really cool, you cut the tag off and bought cheap jeans and put the tag on your cheap jeans and nobody knew. <laughs> Saved money. <laughs> Just had to have somebody that knew how to sew the tags on. So these shopping malls, these Tanger outlets, these everything like that, I just watched on the news at Winnipeg. Have you heard about Winnipeg's? Gigantic, a 100-acre outlet mall in, near the Ikea. 100 acres of shopping. <laughs> Please. I remember when Wolco came in, and it was a department store. And we were amazed that there was a store this size. And had everything in one store. Incredible. Combined with that, though, I also remember that everybody had savings accounts. We made interest on our savings account. We banked money. Now, talk about a survey of checkbooks. I'm not going to ask you, but does anybody actually have money in their account? Uh, please don't raise your hand. <laughs> Aaron might look and want to get you to tithe more or something like that, so I want to protect you from the tithing police, you know. Um, but anyway, I, I noticed, and one of the statistics that just came out, I love economics, is that for every dollar we earn, we have spent $1.67 as Canadians. So for every dollar, we've already pre-spent $1.67. So let's look at what's been set for us. And I'm just keeping this local. I'm not getting political, but I'm just going to make a statement here. In Ontario... Every single one of you, your kids, your grandparents, your parents, every single one of you, the brand new baby, every single one of us owes $21,000 in debt 
with the government. So the government on our behalf has spent $21,000 on our behalf. Now, just, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, so just hang with me. It's like, okay, I'm just loving this message. Wow, it's going to freeze rain next. How's this day going to end, you know? <laughs> I promise you we're going to go somewhere. But we still have a little more to cover. I grew up in a three-bedroom home with one washroom, no TV. Eventually, we got a TV, and it's like, wow, we had a TV, one washroom, three tiny little bedrooms, four kids, and six of us in this. It got to be really interesting when we all came back with our kids. One time when my mom was still alive, we went back to her house, and there were 17 of us in that one house, and some of them were all going through potty training. My poor brother that lived there was horrified because he just couldn't figure out the mad dash as these little kids just knock, knock, bang, bang, in the bathroom, and away we go, you know, all this kind of stuff. But houses were really small. The neighborhood I grew up in, it was just kind of normal. You had just a small, regular three-bedroom house. They were tiny. Now, we got these suckers. There's like three times the size of them. Two bathrooms is like, how do we live with two bathrooms? I don't know. There's only two of you, but, you know, can you not do stairs? But I don't know. So anyway... We have a three, we got four, and, you know, and anyway, I'm, I'm not, I'm just saying the things the way they are. They've changed. We used to have these cute little houses. You could clean them in 15 minutes, you know, just kind of put a fan in, blew it all around, and it was all clean. They were so small. <laughs> but the other thing I see is that, and it might be because we're way more aware of it, but in spite of all that we've got, we're a society that is full of despair. We're full of hopelessness, fatigue. Marriage breakdowns are ever-increasing. Fear of commitment is increasing. One thing that I came across, and I deal a lot with this in the ministry that I work in, is the amount of addiction to porn. And what does this have to do with anything? It's just a longing to satisfy something. And 30% of the Internet is used for porn. 30% of all Internet usage is porn. That's serious. And it is incredibly addicting. So... All of these thoughts, man, what a change has occurred. Is it any better than it was when I was a kid? No, the need's still the same. I tried to fill it with all these things, and it's not been satisfied. So what's behind this? What are we trying to satisfy? I see that we're still struggling to find a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging. And what am I here for? What's my value? I, I, want, I want to collect this group of people so we, we wear the same clothing and I belong to this community. Or I want to belong to this. I want to do this. I'm trying to find some identity here. Crying out for something that really know, like, what's this about? I see it all around. I meet people in various forms of ministry and just see this searching and this struggling. So I began to see the key for this struggle began to see, and it came out of God's word. You might have guessed it came out of God's word as I was preparing for that TED Talk. And it was one verse, but a clump of verses together in the passage, but particularly one verse that really jumped out at me. So I want to look at that. I'm going to read it. It comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're starting at verse 14, and I'm just going to read along. I don't have any overhead or PowerPoint or anything like that. Um, I'm the overhead, I'm the PowerPoint, I'm the whole entertainment here, so <laughs> it's as good as it gets. <laughs> All right, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Christ's love controls us. 
Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves and instead they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. We just stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has, begun a new, is, has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Christ's love controls us. Really? Is that what really controls us? I'm not criticizing anybody, please. I'm thinking for myself here. That's what the scripture says. Christ's love controls us, and it says that we believe that Christ died for all. So I'm just going to break this passage down into a few sections here. We believe that Christ died for us all. We celebrate Easter. As a society, we're pretty good with believing that Christ died for us all. When I was growing up, I was pretty good with understanding, yeah, Christ died for all of us. I struggled when the realization came that Christ died for me. I mean, I knew it. But me? The one that nobody wants? The one that can't find his way, he died for me? Why? Why would he want me? So we're good with history. We can do pretty well that Christ died for, for us. But it goes on to say, and we believe that we have died to our old life. And that, my friends, is the verse that sent my TED Talk flying. Because I realize how few of us, in fact, do I really believe? So I'm not going to make you feel like I'm preaching to you. Let me just preach to me so that you don't have to wear any of this and think, oh, well, he's pointing his finger at me. I'm, let me just point it at me. Do I really believe, do I really believe that I have died to my old life? And that's the crux of real Christianity. I struggle to believe it here because... See shame, see guilt, see failure. Oh, man, when I look back 50 years ago in my life, it's like, oh, I want to just crawl under something and, and just erase the memories. And, but I can't. I did some of those things. I did some of those things 40 years ago and 30 years ago and 20 years ago and 10 years ago. I did some of those things last week. And they just bring shame. They bring failure. It's like, oh, if I could just erase it, the good news is that Jesus does come to free me from all those things. There's a small group that uh, I lead, a group of men, and we're meeting. And one of the questions that we ask the guys that we're working through right now, it's really challenging, but we have to share our story about how we see Christ in us. And honestly, some of the guys just absolutely struggle because I'm actually really good at seeing Christ and Kathleen. And I can tell you how I see Christ and Kathleen. And I can tell you how I see Christ and other people. But when I actually put the mirror up and say, how do I see Christ in me? The first thing that comes to my mind is all the things I don't like about me and all the failure and all that. I don't see Christ right away. 
I see me in all my failure and unglory, not glory. But this verse says, I believe that I have died to my old life. And that when I see who I see now, I see Christ. Wow. I believe I've died to my old life. And it goes on to say he died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves, but instead live for Jesus Christ, who died and was raised for us. So first of all, it starts off with we believe. We believe that Jesus died. The second part is I believe that I have died. And that I have died to me and that I now live in Christ. And the third thing is to receive this new life. Believe, believe, and receive. So how? My dad was a preacher, a traveling preacher, so much like Warren's dad. My dad was called Uncle Ernie, and he just traveled around, and everybody loved him, and he just spoke to people, and he told stories, and I love stories, and I never remember his messages. I think I have a cassette tape, if anybody even knows what that is, of one of my dad's messages. Um, but I don't remember much about that. But I do remember, and as I was preparing this story, I remembered a story that he told, and it came to back to me. So I grew up in St. Catharines, right near Niagara Falls, Ontario. And um, one of the things that we would do, I'd love to do, is I'd love to go and stand on the very edge of the falls. There's this uh, place where you can go and you can just lean over and you can see the water right there. The unfortunate thing is people actually jump there and it's a place where people are drawn to end their lives. It's kind of tragic, but um, that is one of the mesmerizing facts of the water going over like that. But for those of us that are in a relatively healthy place and not feel drawn to do that, it's, it's beautiful to watch the water just cresting over. And back in probably, like I'm guessing, people used to do bizarre things before they had all the rules and, and the, the things that were, uh, I'm not going to tell you some of the things we did, but I'm just talking about history things. Some of the people would do things like go over the falls in a barrel. And you can see it, like some of the museums down there, some of the barrels that went over and think, why? Why would somebody do that? But they did. And they became heroes and people would watch. And then we, remember the guy, like just not that long ago, that he walked across on a tightrope? And it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, my heart was pounding. But there was a guy, and this is a story my dad told, that he actually uh, walked across the Horseshoe Falls in a tightrope. And he said to the crowd, and they were all cheering him on, and he said, do you believe I can do this? And everybody said, yeah, yeah, we believe. So he walks across the tightrope, and he's doing his thing, you know, gets back to the other side, does his thing. And then he says, I'm going to do it with a wheelbarrow. Do you believe I can do it? Yeah, I believe, I believe. Does it with his wheelbarrow. Comes back. Now I'm going to ask for one of you to sit in the wheelbarrow. Do you believe? Do you believe? And nobody said a word. <laughs> true story. At least my dad told me it was true. And it makes a good point. Do you see the difference in belief? You can believe Jesus died. You can believe he rose again. Yeah, 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 I believe it. 
But do you believe it enough? Are you convinced enough that he died, that he really is who he is, that you could give your life and entrust it like you would have to to the man that's asking you to go on the wheelbarrow across the falls? You convinced that you can entrust your life to God? Convinced that you can really give him your life? How do we actually give God our lives? It begins with acknowledging my need. I am looking for something that I can't satisfy. I have all these things and nothing, nothing, nothing satisfies. I've spent all this money and I have nothing to show. I've done all these things and I have nothing but shame and guilt and debt. How do I come to know you? And it begins with me acknowledging the futility of my way. I can't do it. I need you. I'm not satisfied with anything else. So I surrender. I repent. I honestly just say, I can't do it, Lord. I can't do it anymore. I, I come to you. I'm ready to give it all up to you. I'm ready to receive this new life in exchange for my brokenness. You take my broken life and you give me wholeness. And it changes everything. Verse 16 goes on and says, my view of Christ changes. I used to think of him one way, but now I see him in a completely other way. I no longer see him from a human point of view. I see him for who he really is and see myself for who I really am. For who I've become, for who we've become. And it changes everything. Believe. Yeah. Believe that Christ died? Sure, believe Christ died. But enough to convince, be convinced that you could give your life to Christ? Enough to be convinced that his love is enough for you? Enough to be convinced that you can surrender your broken pieces and that he really will make you whole, that he really will take everything you give to him and make you satisfied and free? Or you may have said, yeah, I believe, but do you really believe when you look in the mirror of your life that you don't have to live in shame anymore? That we really are free from the past? That I really have new life? Do I really believe I have new life? Shame is here. New life is here. I can turn around and try to find it again and see it. Or I can look forward and take these steps and say, I believe I have this new life in me. But I need to receive it. I receive what I cannot do. I receive your life, for you have freed me to live in newness of life in you. The summary of all this is the reason why I started off what I started off with a little bit of my story and a little bit of the whole idea about how we're striving for society, how do we fit in. And verse 17 says, anyone who does this belongs to Christ. And the greatest satisfaction is I know, I know, I, Doug Sprague, know I belong to Christ. He is mine. I am his. He gives satisfaction, freedom, new life. The old is gone. New life has begun. 
new life begins. Not all has changed right away, but I look back over the 50 years since I really began my journey with Christ, and I sometimes look and think, I don't know that guy anymore, and I'm glad I don't know him. I'm really so grateful for what God's doing in my life today and what he's done. I believe he gave his life for me. I believe that I've died. I believe that I've received his newness of life. And I believe above all that I belong to Christ. The greatest satisfaction more than anything we could ever have, give or receive, is Jesus. I don't know where you're at in the whole spectrum of things I talked about. I don't know if you really know Jesus. You might say, yeah, yeah, I know about him, but do you really know him enough to get in the wheelbarrow and cross the wire with him? Do you really know him enough to say, yeah, I can give up my life completely? That's the deal. Those who really are willing to give up their lives and give up their lives really come to faith in Christ. It's not here, it's here. So knowing about doesn't qualify. It's when I just give up everything and say, I'm yours completely. But in doing so, when I give that up, man, I get to come to a place where I recognize I have died. It's not me that lives anymore. I'm free. All of the past is behind me. I'm free. That I belong. I have purpose. I receive what he's done for me. Let's pray. Spirit of God, I ask you, by the power of Jesus to speak the words of God to us this morning. May we retain what you have said and wrestle with it till we really come to that place of surrendering completely to you and entrusting you completely with our lives. There is no greater way, Lord, there's no greater way than living, loving, and being and belonging to you. The greatest satisfaction Nothing compares. Thank you for making me new. Thank you for making us new. That the promise is open to anybody who will believe, receive, we belong. So thank you for this really great group of people, this dear group of people. Lord, I pray that there will be just a real sense of your encouragement and, um, and freedom to trust you more and to give our lives to you in every way. Thank you, you make it possible through Jesus. Father, thank you for Jesus dying for us, dying for me. Believe, we believe, we receive, and we belong, and thank you. Amen. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for part two. Yet to be figured out when I share next week, and we'll figure out what's, rest, what's the rest. So thank you so much, and God bless you.